Hey, this is Jim, and you're listening to the podcast edition of the Jim Toth Show. Hear us live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. We're bringing back into the program a, a frequent flyer here at 680 CJOB, I would assume, and throughout uh, everybody's knowledge here of Manitoba Public Insurance. It's Brian Smiley, Media Relations Coordinator. How are you, Brian? Good afternoon, Jim, and I'm absolutely honoured to be a guest on your first ever show, and you've assembled quite the dream team, you and the, the Milroy and TFJ, quite the dream team, Jim. Well done, sir. Well done. It's almost like I can't fail with those two around, so that's the reason why we put this team together. So thank you for joining me, and by all means, um, we'll get you a picture of TFJ's Movember when we get to that point. Looking for sure. forward to it. Looking <laughs> forward to it. This is a big day for Manitoba Public Insurance because they're celebrating their golden anniversary, 50 years of serving Manitobans. I wanted to ask you what year one was like, Brian. I'm, year one I'm kidding. Was, you uh, weren't around there. Were you? Wait, were you? you weren't there. <laughs> well, uh, I wasn't working for MPI back then, <laughs> but I did have road safety. Jim, I did have road safety on my mind when I was about five years old, and I, I got hit by an Eaton's delivery truck, and I've always had road safety on my mind since then. So it's been of a real dream come true to work for MPI. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, if you're five and you get hit by a truck, you remember the name on that truck. You never forget that, that's for sure. Well, it, it was a big Eaton's delivery truck, and somehow I wandered off the boulevard uh, in my hometown of Selkirk, and uh, the delivery truck came around the corner and uh, smacked me on my tricycle, and... Uh, I don't remember it much, but my mom sure does. Oh, man, I would presume so, and I'm glad you uh, turned out okay after all that. Um, so you've had an early interest for road safety and everything else. Uh, tell, tell us about this anniversary, and specifically, I, I was reading about how it, uh, MPI originally started. That's a great story. Well, it is, Jim. It began actually in 1969 when the government of the day under Ed Schreier, Premier Ed Schreier, and his uh, Minister of uh, Automobile Insurance, Howard Pauley, they were hearing a lot of uh, disenchanted people regarding the auto insurance world in Manitoba. A lot of vehicles were not insured. A lot of vehicles that were insured didn't have the proper insurance coverage uh, from the private insurers. So there was a, a committee struck to look into the possibility of revamping everything. After roughly about a year and a half of, uh, of a public consultation and stakeholder meetings, they've come up with the public auto insurance system, second in Canada behind SGI, and on November 1st, 1971, at the corner of St. Anne's and St. Mary's, Manitoba Public Insurance was launched. And our first claim was opened by a fellow by the name of Mr. Brown, and his tires were stolen off his Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> and that was the first claim MPI ever dealt with. That was the first claim we've ever dealt with. I believe Mr. Brown left happy. I'm hoping he did. I'm assuming he did. And since then, Jim, we've been doing nearly 920 claims per working day since our opening back 50 years ago. We've come a long way. No kidding. And and, and I know you have the numbers for what it was like last year and where it is today. Um, maybe over those 50 years, obviously those numbers would go up, I would think, with the, with the population grew. But um, was there a period of time in the 50 years where there was a dramatic jump, uh, maybe over a five or 10-year or period? No, I think the growth has been steady, Jim. And, and we've seen this growth related to a number of factors, the more people buying more than one automobile. Back in the days in the, in the 70s, there were many one-vehicle families. Nowadays, there's not unusual to have two to three vehicles in the in the household. We know that it, very recently, we, we well, right now we have 1.19 million auto pack policies in force. So that's certainly a lot. And I should also mention, them, Jim, that we're one of Manitoba's largest employers. We've got roughly 1,900 employees. And 
We're certainly proud of the uh, impact that we've made on this province, both from a business perspective, uh, from a community involvement perspective, and just being a good citizen. With the 50th anniversary, I'd assume you're looking over the history as a whole and, and have been for a while sort of to look at some of the milestones. What are some of the milestones that stand out for Manitoba Public Insurance? Well, we certainly have a lot of them back in the good old days, uh, 1979. Specifically, we implemented a dial-a-claim concept. And in 88, we came out with the Merit Discount Program, which everybody's familiar with. is now called our Driver Safety Rating. And as we move forward in 2004, MPI took over the driver and vehicle licensing responsibilities from the province. And again, in the mid-2000s, MPI Claim Centres transitioned to service centres where people would be basically be a one-stop shop. You could get your uh, driver's license to take in there and uh, and go for your road test, your knowledge test. And very recently, Jim, uh, in 2020, just uh, last year, we introduced enhanced coverage levels to all our customers, increasing our levels of third-party liability and and all those good things insurance-wise. But it was it's been a it's been a fun ride for 50 years. And uh, you know, Jim, I haven't been here for 50, but I have been for 24. <laughs> I usually do that joke when we're celebrating 50th anniversaries. Bob Irving hates that joke, by the way, but uh, I've used it on that, him that's as a well. Hall of Famer, Jim. You're talking about a Hall of Famer there, Bob Knuckles Irving. So you got to be careful yes. when you go into that territory. Yeah, I say I often say like in the 80 years or the 90 years of the Bombers, what was your one like, Bob? And he always laughs at that and then says, "Watch yourself, son." Um, so back to the MPI in this anniversary. Uh, what are some of the things that stand out to you personally along with the milestones or just, I mean, how long have you been there now, Brian? Well, 24 years, Jim, and, uh, and it's certainly been a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, excitement at MPI. It never seems to be a dull moment. And obviously some of the good things we talk about is our service centers and uh, the accessibility for our customers. We've increased service centers over the years and literally people can go uh, up north to Thompson, down south to Winkler and, east to our good friends in Bossier and out west to Brandon and all stops in between. And we certainly have service centers in Winnipeg. And, and uh, for me, uh, personally, it's uh, meeting the people that we have. And as you can imagine, Jim, I hear from a lot of uh, members of the public who uh, some of them are happy with MPI and some of them are uh, uh, offering uh, how we can improve our services. And I'm always happy to talk to those folks. Are there some celebrations planned for today or maybe this week, Brian, now that it is the 50th anniversary as of today? We, we are planning some celebrations. Uh, this is very much a staff celebration. And, of, of course, a shout-out to our retirees. Uh, I'd be amiss to not mention the retirees who helped build, build this corporation way back in 71. Uh, but, yeah, we have some internal celebrations. I know some people are getting together for lunches. They're going to be having – we're having an internal uh, trivia contest to have some fun out of this and, uh, and uh, just – basically reminiscing back about the 50. And of course, Jim, I'd be uh, uh, remiss to not mention looking forward to the next 50, but I won't be there. (laughs) Well, exactly. (laughs) And right before I let you go, Brian, and this is what we do in the pandemic, like how it affects all different walks of life of people and businesses and industries. And I mean, the pandemic for, for MPI would have been affected too, with just so many people having to stay home, not as many people on the roads. How has that been over the past 18 months compared to where we are today and, and people slowly getting back to work more people being able to travel etc well like all businesses and everybody involved with the pandemic it's certainly been a very bumpy time and from uh, our perspective it was uh, our main concern was serving our customers we had to put a hold on our driver testing we had roughly a backlog of 7,000 drivers tests when we couldn't serve our customers due to social distancing requirements and public health orders but we managed to clear that 7,000 off Uh, We managed to get people back into our service centers and then provide service to our customers, thankfully. Uh, Over that whole period of time, Jim, uh, our 
our team at MPI were very uh, uh, successful in ensuring that nobody really lost their jobs, thank goodness. Uh, we deployed some staff over to Shared Health to assist in their COVID uh, efforts. So uh, over the period of time, uh, we, we did have some bumps, but we certainly didn't have the bumps in many of the businesses that are facing right now. And uh, very quickly, we had roughly 1,000 people in our city place building. Right now, we're down to about 110. And we are working uh, very diligently on getting more staff downtown to help uh, spark and uh, initiate our business development downtown. Well, I thank you for joining us and sharing some of the history. And uh, on behalf of everybody, happy anniversary to Manitoba Public Insurance, to you and all the employees there. Well, thanks, Jim. Really appreciate it. And uh, good luck on your show. And it's uh, it's. A great listen, and uh, you've got the dream team behind you, though, Jim. Way to go, kid. Yeah, I appreciate those two fine gentlemen guiding me. And, and just in the last break, Brian uh, Milroy was saying, it's right in front of you. If you could read that next, the thing that's right in front of you. So that's the kind of help I need. So thanks, Brian. All the best. I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure, and thanks to all your listeners. Welcome into the program now, Tony Todd, who's with Purify Enviro Group. Good morning, or good afternoon, Tony. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Jim? Doing well, thank you. I was uh, I was thinking about this on the weekend, and I thought of your company because I know one of your partners is Garth Smith, and I was just chatting with him, and, and um, somebody like your company is intriguing to me in a pandemic because it is about purifying and sanitation and all that. So before we get into that specifically, just tell us what Puro Enviro Group does. Okay, thanks, Jim. Uh, Purifying Enviro Group helps homes and workplaces rid themselves of mold, viruses, bacteria, and other pathogens. We're Winnipeg-based here with an office and warehouse location in the heart of Winnipeg on Aaron Street, serving our community. So why is it important then, like prior to the pandemic, to just in general for a company like yours and, and, and your clients to clean, disinfect your home workplace or your personal environments and such? Well, Jim, it's it's easy to pinpoint uh, an ailment if we're exposed to someone who's who's been recently diagnosed with ill, but it's it's literally impossible to see the germs, bacteria, or viruses, for that matter, around us. So we must also keep in mind too that germs, bacteria, and viruses easily spread onto objects and surfaces quickly and easily, easily from, as we know, coughing, sneezing. Droplets are spread out into the air, or inhaled by others, or land on anything underneath it, for that matter. So when COVID-19 overwhelmed the city and the rest of the world, it was important to Purify Enviro Group to arm our clients with reliable applicators and an extremely effective solution to combat and to kill the coronavirus. You know, we stress to our clients and our, pro- our prospects the importance of, of fighting the coronavirus themselves throughout the day by disinfecting their own surfaces, their own high-touch areas, their own environments instead of trusting, you know, third parties or overnight cleaning services with their COVID protocols. So what, and I think this is important to, to let our listeners know too, Tony, is what is the difference between cleaning and sanitizing or disinfecting? Because it's kind of two different things, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Cleaning, cleaning would be more of a, a catch-all phrase where, you know, cleaning is defined by, for example, the center of, of disease. Um, defines it using soaps or detergents with water to physically remove dirt, grind germs from the surface. Cleaning, however, does not kill any of the uh, of the viruses or bacteria or pathogens uh, that are left behind. 
uh, where disinfecting and sanitizing, you're, you're killing those pathogens, you're killing those. So cleaning is, is the first step involved. Um, the more clean a surface is, the better the disinfectant can work. Ah, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so with disinfectants, and there's so many of them out there, uh, I think a lot of our listeners, at least I'm one of them, that, that would ask, like, what are the best and, and what's the best for your home compared to your business? And, and if you have one, is it the same? Um, what would you tell our listeners, sort of the best ones that are available and, and how to approach different, say, homes to a business? Well, Jim, as we mentioned, you know, we we, um, we wanted to supply our clients with the tools to fight the virus themselves. So that included applicators as well as as a solution to kill the the virus. So, you know, when industries are now being held accountable for the footprint they leave on the environment, and when Purify Envir Group considered all the risks involved in using a cheaper generic disinfectant or sanitizer, um, we believed it made more sense to choose a safer cleaner alternative called hypochlorous acid. Now, I know, Jim, hypochlorous acid sounds highly toxic and dangerous, but it is literally present in all humans. So when we become sick or when we cut ourselves, our own body produces hypochlorous acid, which then teams up with your white blood cells to combat any infection. So it's completely safe um, for humans, for plants, for animals, uh, even marine life. What's uh, what's the pandemic been for like a business like yours? Is it more busy? Have people sort of called? Uh, is it more because of the pandemic, or has it been less busy? What's it been like to sort of navigate the industry that you're in through this pandemic? Well, through our our clients that uh, we have a history of and that we work with, um, including the Winnipeg Jets and the Manitoba Moose, um, both actually. Um, determined that after their due diligence that hypochlorous acid was what they wanted to use to protect their um, both players and staff from, from the COVID-19. Um, so we, 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 we are supplying along with that. Um, we've also been uh, proud to supply the uh, Edmonton Oilers, the Vancouver Canucks, um, the Winnipeg Ice, the Abbotsford Canucks. So it's been that word of mouth, Jim, that in that community um, – with the Jets using it and the Moose using it and having tremendous success with it, other teams have been inquiring um, how they've had that success. Uh, has it been like a very big uptick, uptick during this time, Tony? And I mean by clients and people interested in this and trying to, you know, you know, either just out of a, a sense of personal security to, to have this done to their business or their homes, or um, has it been business as usual? Well, what we found, Jim, too, is that you think that during a pandemic that there's going to be a great need for for the disinfecting and sanitizing. However, when we have code red and everything is shut down, that demand goes down substantially. There's no, you know, the the students aren't in the schools, the kids aren't in the arenas, the Jets aren't playing, the Bombers aren't playing. So when we had complete shutdown, it it hurt uh, even, even our business, the the disinfecting and sanitizing. Again, when not, nothing's open, no one's using the product. And how often do you, should people, in your mind, be sanitizing still? I mean, we've we've kind of gone 18 months into this, and people are getting vaccinated. They're still being told to be extremely careful and, and masks and everything else. But say the average person, what would you recommend for them for sanitizing or, or, or cleaning their own place of business or home? 
Uh, it should definitely be done after after anyone enters or leaves a, a business that you don't know. So if you're open to the public, um, it, you can't rely on on it being sanitized once once a day. It has to be an ongoing process, Jim. As as someone comes in, you're, it's only as as disinfectant as the next person that comes and touches your door handle or light switch or or anything for that matter. So it's not about doing it, you know, at twelve o'clock and and five o'clock at night. It's it's a matter of, of of installing a COVID protocol or a disinfecting protocol into your home or into your environment. Has this been a really challenging time during the pandemic for your company, Tony? Yeah, it it, it has been very challenging. And one of the one of the things, Jim, is that there's no there's no real standard out there. You know, I go to different retail stores, I go to different places and every product I see at the front is something different. I don't know what I'm putting on my hands. I don't know at any given location. I don't know if it's, if it's a chemical, if it has fragrance, if it has this, um, you know, using alcohol based um, sanitizers can create skin issues. It can create um, eczema. So there, there's lots of, there's lots of um, disadvantages in some of the products that are being used. Right, for sure. Yeah, no, I find this fascinating, Tony. So I appreciate sort of uh, weighing into some of the aspects of this and sanitization and everything else, especially during the the, clan, uh, the pandemic time. I appreciate you doing this. All the best. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Jim. And um, anyone who would like any additional information, we're on the on the World Wide Web, and we're uh, over here in Erin Street. <laughs> Voice of the Bombers, Bob Irving, who joins me now, but I want to get into some other stuff with him, uh, too, as well. Bob, thanks for joining me. How are you? How was the bye week? The bye week was great, Jim, and congrats on your program. I am honored to be one of your first guests on the Jim Toth Show. Well, thank you, Bob, and I wanted to have you on the very first one because years back you were the one who uh, helped bring me into radio. You, I believe it was you, you're, you're looking homely, you're putting on weight, you better get on a TV. Is that how it went? Yeah. Yeah, those were some of the qualifications that uh, you met, Jim, for sure. <laughs> qualifications I met. Um, no, but it was you. And- who, who don't know? Yes, I was involved in uh, bringing you over from uh, Shaw to CJOB, and it was a great move on our part. Uh, you left us uh, for a variety of reasons a few years later, but we're glad to have you back, I can tell you that. I'm glad to be back. It was you and uh, Mr. Kevin Wallace, and I really appreciate it. And uh, as I told you then, I just love broadcasting. It doesn't matter what format, so more than happy to be here and be back. So I thank you. That's one of the reasons I, I wanted to have you on and also to talk about the Bombers and and, um, and the Jets here too because, uh, you know, a lot has been going on around the National Hockey League and specifically with Kevin Dayoff, and, and I think it's come down to Bob is is what people are asking me is is sort of what do you want to hear or what do you need to hear from Kevin Chevaldeoff tomorrow and I'll ask you what do you expect to hear or, or what more specifically do, do you do you think fans need to hear from him? Well, first of all, I don't know what we're going to hear, and I don't think anybody does, Jim. Whether uh, you know he's been given some legal constraints in terms of of what he's prepared to say, I think people in general uh, would like to hear him fully explain his role in what happened to Kyle Beach uh, and Gary Bettman today held a news conference and I've just listened to the entire thing and he was very adamant again this is the commissioner of the NHL that Kevin Dayoff's role in this uh, horrible situation with Kyle Beach was minimal at best 
that there was discussion of an inappropriate relationship involving Aldrich, but the extent of that relationship was not discussed at the meeting Chevaldeoff was present at, and therefore Bettman uh, truly believed that Chevaldeoff reasonably assumed that the matter would be held, handled by his superior. So I just to point that out. Uh, I think, though, that many people out there would like to hear Kevin Chevaldeoff's voice speak to this and, and explain, in his words, rather than hearing, you know, from somebody who read a report or from Gary Bettman or whoever, somebody in the media, hear from Kevin Chevaldeoff exactly what happened. And then people can make up their minds, Jim. You know, and in these situations, I find that people are going to believe what they choose to believe. Uh, but I, I think that if Kevin Chevaldeoff can present his his situation, his case, if I can use that term, uh, in a way that makes it more understandable for everybody here, then then we just have to leave that there and uh, and accept it for what it is. And we, I think we all feel horrible. If you've seen that interview with Rick Westhead and Kyle Beach, it's heartbreaking. It's enough to bring you to tears. Um, and hope that these things never happen again. Yeah, and I think that's... I mean, and don't get me wrong. I don't want to put this ahead of Kevin Chevaldeoff speaking. I think he he has to speak. I think he wants to, and he will uh, hopefully tomorrow to to do what you were just saying, Bob. But you know, as we move forward, I mean, I hope that's what comes out of all of this, regardless of any of the results of the investigation and stuff, is that we get to a better place where this does not repeat itself, and and that um, there are are, are uh, I don't know f- factions or what to call them put in place to ensure that going forward we get to a better place, that this doesn't happen again. Yeah, you know, Jim, I agree with you totally, and I think one of the things Gary Bettman said today that's true, and it will always be true, is that there will all, for all the safeguards you put in place, and there will always be, in the world we live in, bad people who just choose to do bad things. And so what we need to do in every level of society, not just the National Hockey League, has put as many safeguards as possible in place and hope that they catch these people uh, before they can commit the, the kind of horrible, I'll use the word crime, that uh, you know was perpetrated on Kyle Beach. Yeah, uh, well said on that too. So we hope so and we'll go forward and uh, we await Kevin Chevaldeoff and Mark Chipman speaking tomorrow. And yep. we'll have that for you here on 680 CGOB. Uh, what did you make of the weekend that was CFL football without the Bombers playing? Well, I watched all four games as I do every weekend and uh, there were some very interesting developments. It looks like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are going to finish in second place, Jim. They you know, uh, beat Montreal. Calgary won their game in Ottawa, which was entirely predictable. But Saskatchewan seven and four in second place in the West. Calgary six and six. So the Riders really have the inside track on second place, uh, and they play their next game against Edmonton. And I don't know what in the world the Elks can come up with in terms of a better performance. They were embarrassing the last time they were on the field and losing their game this week and they have signed Nick Arbuckle to a an extension I don't know if the field he's ready to play but they just look like a team that has quit anyway it looks to me like the Riders have a great shot at finishing second which would mean they'd host the West semifinal likely against Calgary I don't see BC catching Calgary 
And then the winner of that would move on to play the Bombers in that West Final on December the 5th. Over in the East, uh, you know, the Argos won their game with BC, an exciting finish down to the end. It went to overtime. Toronto 7-4, and four, but Montreal and Hamilton are both 6-5. and five, So, you know, the race for top spot there is not over. And, of course, Montreal's here this weekend. Uh, boy, Hamilton's really coming on. Uh, you know, they were, remember, 15-3, and three, Jim, in 2019 before the Bombers knocked them off their pedestal in the Grey Cup game. Right. Uh, this is still very much the same team. And they've had some injuries and, you know, inconsistency in some areas. But, boy, oh, boy, are they ever looking good. So if I had to bet money on it now i'd bet on hamilton emerging from the east but it's going to be interesting because montreal hamilton and toronto uh, i think are all capable of coming out of the east with the argos having the inside track on first place now the inside track but i'm not giving the argos they play hamilton uh next week not this weekend but they play hamilton next weekend and that game could ultimately decide who winds up in top spot I mentioned this a little bit last week on the bye week, but I'm fascinated with how Mike O'Shea navigates this next three weeks. Now, I would yeah. assume, you know him way better than I do, Bob, but I would assume he sort of just goes all status quo. They don't change anything. Every game matters week to week to week. Um, but as they get closer to that bye week, I, I'm just fascinated with how he manages this because this is part of the, uh, from all we've seen and all his degrees of coaching, what he's need to come up with and scheming and good teams, bad teams, developing culture. This is something we haven't seen um, him sort of navigate yet as the Bombers head coach. Yeah, this is new ground for Mike O'Shea for sure. And they will continue that mandate of theirs, Jim, that uh, let's go 1-0 this week and, you know, let's let's keep on playing great football and keep on winning. I think that has to be their approach, and it will be. And not just from O'Shea. I think the players will say, as, take that same tack. Now, it's all well and good to say that. But, they're, you know, these are human beings. They're not robots. They know, the players know, and they can focus uh, tightly on Montreal on Saturday, and I have no doubt they will. But they know that the game that matters now and really, I say the only game that counts, as far as the fans are concerned, is that December 5th game. Uh, so it's going to be, I think, a great challenge for Mike O'Shea to, to keep the players on target uh, with this game against Montreal Saturday. I think that's a little easier because it's the final home game of the season, and they, you know, they want to keep their perfect record at home intact. And then, and I think Mike O'Shea will play most of his front liners uh, for most of this game on Saturday because they're coming off a bye week and everybody's rested and, and quite healthy. Now, those last two games, that'll be most intriguing to see whether Sean McGuire, the backup quarterback, gets some playing time, whether the Adam Big Hills of the world and Kenny Lawlers and some of the other key players, uh, Jackson Jeffcoat, Willie Jefferson, whether they get some time to rest, uh, maybe play a quarter in each game or a little bit more, a little bit less. I don't know. I don't know what Mike's going to do. And, and you know, I think he's probably got a plan, but it's a plan that will change from week to week. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this all plays out because, as you said, Jim, he's never had to deal with this. And, you know, every team that I've seen over the years that's had first place clinched early, uh, they all take a different approach. And then they also talk to their players and ask them what they want to do. Do you want to play in every game? How much is it, you know, how important is it to you to be on the field every week? So there's so many factors involved in this, and it's going to be fun to see how it all plays out. Yeah, and I agree with you. That's the other reason I'm excited to see or, or intrigued to see what he'll do is you're right because every coach approaches it differently. So we'll find out. Uh, I tried to get Mike on this first show, and he said who? 
And after I explained to him for the third time, he said, I only do talk to Bob Irving. So um, he'll be on with you tonight at 7 on the Coaches Show. That's awesome. What, what do you think you'll be asking him? Well, I'll be asking him about the stuff you and I just talked about, about his plans uh, going down the stretch. And I, I can pretty much assure you that he will say that it'll depend on the situation in each given week, which is a fair comment, right? He's not going to lay out what he's going to do uh, in the game a week from Saturday in Montreal. Well, I'm going to sit this guy down, Bob, and I'm going to start this guy at quarterback and all the rest of it. This is a week-to-week thing, but we'll talk about that at length. Uh, the new kicker, Sergio Castillo and Winston Rose, the all-star cornerback, they're both in town. They'll be on the practice field tomorrow when the team returns to practice, so we'll talk about those two and what role uh, they will play going forward. The Bombers cut six players today off their practice roster, but they still have 16 players on either injured or practice roster. And Mike's said to me today, it's just a matter of economics and budget and numbers and league rules. And uh, so these are the kinds of things you have to deal with at this point in the season. But, you know, the Bombers are healthy, Jim, for the most part. Andrew Harris, we're not sure about. I think Jamarcus Hardrick will be back for the next game. But they're really quite healthy and in great shape, great shape going into these final three weeks, four weeks of the regular season, heading to that December 5th West final date at IG Field. And if it's if the temperature is anything above minus six, and by above I mean minus five, minus four, minus three, then I think we've won the lottery, don't you? <laughs> I do indeed, for sure I do. I, I've always said if you get to November without snow, you are, you're living well, so let's hope that it is that way, and, and uh, we look forward to that. Bob, thanks very much. Uh, Michael Shea show tonight with Bob Irving at 7 o'clock on 680 CJOB uh, Daily Coaches Show coming up and also the coverage leading into the game this Saturday. Thanks, Bob. Oh, you bet, Jim, and good luck with the new show. I know you'll, I know you'll hit it out of the park, my friend.